0: Shadow Talk. Hello, I'm Michael Merritt, and welcome to this week's episode of Shadow Talk, a weekly roundup of threat intelligence from the Digital Shadows research team. In this week's episode, the world goes crazy for Spectre, and Daniel Craig hasn't even had to take his kit off. Root is on standby for another Mirai. That's Satori. And there's new hacktivist campaigns, such as Op Net Neutrality. All this and much more in this week's Shadow Talk. Wow, what a way to open your account, Michael Marriott. Here in the room with me is Mark Tibbs, our Intelligence Development Manager. Hello, hello Mark. Po- hello Podcats. Hello Simon Tame, our uh, Intelligence analyst in residence. Good day. So we should start off with the big story of the week meltdown and spectre.
1: Quite, yes. Well, only a few days into 2018 and the security community is already melting down to the looming spectre uh, that nearly all computer devices contained fundamental flaws in their microprocessor chips. So we saw um, some security researchers revealed on Wednesday that they developed not one but two exploits to take advantage of those weaknesses that allowed access to memory information held in the most privileged area of an operating system, the kernel. So what could this be like? Passwords? Yeah, so the exploits themselves are called Meltdown and Spectre. They've got their own customary logos and names, you know, uh, but they could expose sensitive data such as encryption keys and passwords, which are, you know, this is essentially troubling news for computer users and definitely bad news story for the chip manufacturers themselves. A very impressive bit of research and one that has kind of rocked, I guess, the... um, um the computer security world because of, mainly because it, it, it affects nearly all known processes and i think that's the because it the main is all issue. now because yesterday it was um or on thursday i should say it was excluding apple products but that's changed as of yeah, today. Apple came out and said that um, they were affected also uh today this morning. So yeah nearly nearly all um modern processes at risk including those produced by Intel, AMD and um ARM all very interesting, theoretically. What, How does it
0: actually apply in the real world? Like, what should organisations be concerned about? What will actually happen?
1: So I think those are the kind of the key questions for anyone that runs an enterprise, um, you know. And I also think it's not one size fits all. I think it depends on risk appetite. But, uh, well, really, you know... These are local code executions, so you need you need in order to be able to use them, you need to actually be on um you know have access to someone's machine or be on someone's network yeah. so so really you know um that that does sort of um decrease the kind of severity of of the bugs or the i guess the application the way that they can be used. What we'd expect to see is them being used as part of a a more sophisticated sort of a longer term attack or as, as part of getting into a targeted attack i guess' it's, I don't think it's going to be something that. Is going to affect everyday users from now. Um, you know, it's it's um, it's something that um, is 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 possibly going to be used. Uh, 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 you know, to get um, to the crown jewels, but you know, in order to get there in the first place, you're going to have to overcome a lot of other defenses like firewalls and antivirus.
0: If somebody is really interested in patching this and resolving this particular risk like what would what measures would they take what's available for them
1: so patches for meltdown have been released by apple amazon microsoft google and others as well uh, but there aren't any specific patches for spectre and actually complete mitigation for it requires hardware fixes um, in fact uh, some of the mitigation that's been released by uh, the u.s cert and i think the carnegie Mellon cert has said the only way to really truly mitigate the risk of this... Is throw away all the things. Yeah, (laughs) is to basically replace your CPE, (laughs) which obviously is not a practical um, thing for, uh, you know, very large enterprises with hundreds of thousands of computers in their estate and and possibly, you know, possibly millions of of microprocessing chips. Uh, That's not something that's going to be quick or um, cheap to do. So uh, it's just completely impractical. Um, So, yeah, so I think think ultimately... um, you know if you are uh if you are running um uh, a an enterprise you want to you want to definitely patch um you know you have to look at the the vendor's uh, patching advice and their mitigation advice and you want to follow that um uh, for sure should you escalate this in terms of sever- in terms of severity i don't really think you necessarily need to um you know i think possibly it's one that can just be included in regular patching cycles
0: yeah well, I'm interested in the how criminals are making use of this. Are they going to? How quickly they're going to get their hands on these
1: exploits? Are they going to be sold online? What's going to go on with that? How's that going to be developed? So are they going to start defrauding the, the criminals. As part of the um, uh, release, um, the white paper, the researchers actually released the code for uh, proof of concept. I think it was for Spectre. Is that right? Yeah, it's for Spectre. And one of our analysts here, one of our um, security engineers, actually recreated it and, and showed that it was possible. So, is it actually possible to do? You know, th- theoretically, it's possible. It's it's out there. The code's out there. It can be used. But um, you know, will it be weaponized by threat actors? We haven't seen it. We've not seen it used in the wild yet. One thing we have seen is a um, uh, we saw someone talking on an IC channel and um, providing a, a screenshot of a um, shop reportedly used by a group called the Shadow Brokers. Um, claiming to be selling uh, these exploits for, I think, was it $8,900? Right. So uh, if we don't know the credibility of that. We don't know if that's real. Um, what we do know is there probably is um, a great deal of interest from threat actors in this. But, yeah, like, has it been as like resolved, weaponized? Once. Yeah, right. like, has it been weaponized? Before. Is it as useful as Eternal Blue, uh, the ones that were used for WannaCry? Absolutely not, because it doesn't allow remote code access. You know, it doesn't allow someone outside of um, a network to get in there and, and do, do the badness, yeah. or steal the and steal the information. Well, the the mining crews on chat
0: rooms have been very nervous about the implications of patching and slowing down the machines that they control, but they've convinced themselves it's actually fine now. In fact, Monero uh, mining is actually something we'll be coming onto later on in the pod, so stay tuned for that. Another example of something being made public that could be used by threat actors, we've seen this week also, which is the release of the Satori code. Uh, Simon, what, what has had gone on there?
2: Well, the story is that um, exploit code being used by the Satori botnet operator was leaked publicly online recently, so that enables other threat actors to incorporate it. So. To give a bit of context around this, the Satori botnet is an Internet of Things botnet, it's actually a Mirai variant. And the way it was being spread back in December when it was discovered was by a, a at the time, zero-day exploit for Huawei routers, home routers. Um, so this, this vulnerability that it was exploiting uh, cv 17215 uh, affects the universal plug-and-play protocol. So what it allowed the uh, malware to do was essentially act as a worm Exploit a router or device, and then move on to others and gain control over them. So I think it was over two hundred thousand devices back in December that were found. So this is in, in order
1: to allow a uh, well anyone to build. A bigger botnet. Build a botnet. And then what? What are they going to do with this botnet? Like Mirai obviously was used to um, launch DDoS attacks, but like, what, what's this one? Be? So,
2: or so is this is the, the major gap with this is it's not actually been used for anything malicious that we know of at the moment. Um, unlike Mirai, which obviously had that sort of devastating effect on uh, DynDNS, DNS, uh, this one hasn't actually been used for anything, and it's it's similar to what we've seen in the past with like, the Reaper botnet as well, which was another IoT botnet which was discovered by researchers. Um, but hadn't actually done anything malicious or they hadn't seen it being used for anything malicious. So while this could be used for a range of functions, you know, spam, DDoS, all that sort of good stuff, it's not at the moment and it really depends on the intent of the, the operator behind it and also anyone who adopts this exploit code and tries to build their own botnet as well. Because we've seen, Mark, like, people don't necessarily build up botnets
0: to
1: use themselves.
0: You can... Diversify within the criminal ecosystem. You can sell access
1: mm. to them. Yeah, I mean, if you, but um, this would be um, uh, giving people access to, yeah, you know, um, I guess home routers, is it? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so I mean, that's not that useful uh, for selling, really, unless unless you're going to use it to launch tax. I don't think. You know, like if it was a botnet um, that allowed you slave control of someone's computer, you'd be able to like. Maybe keylog and steal information that way, and then use that to commit fraud or whatever like that. But home router, like, well, what's it got on it? I think we have got much good information on it. So, what's the use in that? Mm, DDoS, yeah, it just packs you know, ma- yeah, like I suppose yeah. probably like that seems to be the most likely um, uh, reason for it. Although it could just be you know someone's project or like you know, there's a lot of researchers out there who are who are who are just doing things because hey they want to. The hacker's going to hack, right? You know, hackers it's going to hack. <laughs>
0: I mean, talking of DDoS, maybe it's a good time to talk about the, kind of the third article that we covered today, which was on a new activist campaign.
1: Activists generally are not that um threatening i guess to organizations uh, now that is a bold statement to make I know. So, but but in in you know from from having observed activists over the last um you know two three years uh, digital shadows we see a lot of noise around activism they make very very bold claims about um you know certainly launching attacks against entities that they perceive as being unethical or whatever ideology they're objectable in some way yeah objectable in some way exactly their activity tends to be restricted to sort of what we would call or what we would term sort of quite low level activities like DDoS attacks that maybe take a website offline for a few hours defacements of websites which is a way of kind of I guess publicizing their work and um, doxing people things like that we have seen examples of the supposed activist groups have actually been uh, who, who look actually like they're more like nation state proxies? Say for example, I can give you a couple of examples of that. So like a An- non Poland, we we blogged about them. Uh, they do things like leak data, and they seem to have sort of some of these groups seem to have um, much um, better or much um, uh, more significant kind of capabilities than it, uh, than your traditional activists. In fact, the non Poland example is is really worth checking out to see how
0: sophisticated they get with their their tweets and kind of how they do that in bulk. Um, very interesting to check out if people are interested.
1: Yeah. But anyway, back to the story. The story this week, it was, it's, it's, it's not um, a huge story, but it's just something that we kind of wanted to put on the radar, um, was around uh, op net neutrality, it's called. So it's a activist campaign that's been motivated by controversy over um, U.S. Um, uh, changes in U.S. Uh, laws around net neutrality. So net neutrality being the principle that internet data shouldn't be ring-fenced or, you know, ISPs shouldn't charge more for certain types of data or how it's delivered or anything like that. And it's seen by many people as a fundamental principle of the internet that 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 shouldn't be interfered with. And that's got people's backs up and it's got activists' backs up um, and they've started targeting um, ISPs. So we saw, it wasn't this um, this past week, it was actually over the Christmas period, but we saw a target list with, uh, I think, three... ISPs on it didn't say what they were going to do, didn't say the plans of what they were going to do, but presumably that means you know DDoS attacks against these ISPs, possibly defacements doxing, things like that. Announced yet? No dates. No dates. I don't think they. I mean, we have seen activity uh, around this. We have seen some claims. There was a claim of a Tango Down, so like a, a DDoS against uh, one of the ISPs, uh, and also doxing of one of the FCC officials. So the FCC is the US regulator uh, for ISPs. So yeah, so just kind of interesting. It, it hasn't gained a lot of traction yet. This campaign. Um, it, it you know it's not a, it's not a huge issue for um, uh, anyone yet. I suppose the targeting of ISPs could be troublesome because they are obviously like an upstream provider to yeah, as know, as households with, and with yeah didn't, like didn't DNS. Yes. Um, so what would the kind of, Simon
0: you have looked into this before I know. Um, what are the drivers that you might be looking for to see because there's so many hacktivist operations. How do you know which ones are going to actually um,
2: go big? It's looking at the, the groups that are involved and the steps that they're taking to plan. So obviously a loose target list with um, a few websites on it and no direction isn't really going to cause a lot of steer. So if you look back at some of the more successful ones, like uh, when I say successful, obviously it's quite um, subjective. But if you look at some stuff like Op Africa where it was all through a centralized website and all the announcements were made there, yeah. that tends to have a bit more impact. Than something where a target list put on Pastebin and is only shared by like a Twitter account with barely any followers. So there's that. There's also how pertinent the issue is to people as well. So if it's a cultural, ethical, religious, that might have more of a following than something like this, where really, you know, a lot of the impact is going to be on internet users that are concerned about being blocked to websites that they they like or being charged for content. Um, and it's only the US as well. So you know, there's a few different factors there, but. Really, this seems to me like one of those things where it has a lot of controversy, but it doesn't have a big activist following at the moment. And I think we've seen that in terms of the people sharing target lists yeah. and that kind of thing.
1: I mean, actually, the only activity that I saw was um, from uh, Anonymous Albania, which are not a well-known uh, hacking group. Obviously, Anonymous is quite well-known. It's a faction of Anonymous. Um, so, yeah, don't, don't know much about them. Other
0: hacktivist operations in the news this week include actors affiliated with Op Icarus.
1: Op Icarus. Is that that flame being rekindled? That old Chestnut.
2: It's rekindled every month. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, if you take this back to the start when it was all about financial institutions, whereas now it's anything and everything, really, it's just splintered so much that people are just using the hashtag to, I don't know, reference things that they don't like and conduct attacks against them. I really don't op think... op string. Did,
1: did we do a piece of work that uh, forecasted the um, progression of op Icarus?
2: Yeah, so, so we said that the most likely scenario would be a sort of complete fragmentation of it. Which is kind of
1: what's ha- happened so far, unless they get their act together. Absolutely. If you can hear that slight brass
0: noise in the, in the back, that's Simon blowing his own trumpet there <laughs> of his forecasting piece. Uh, but it was
2: a very good piece, so please, blow away. Yeah, so, I mean... In terms of how long it took to fragment it, it was certainly outside of the forecast in terms of time, but um, yeah, I mean it seems to have gone that way, and you, you see it a lot with activist hashtags as well, and if you take the likes of op Israel um, or up free Palestine, it just becomes something that's referenced because it was once popular, yeah and it's used as a sort of a flag saying, hey, look, we're doing this, and it's part of this operation, when really it doesn't have anything or much at all to do with what the original roots of it were. Um, so I, don't, I personally don't think this is going to go anywhere, and I think that the sort of trend with activist operations, including net neutrality, is it's all public-facing websites. It's never really the, the core services. And, you know, there are cases where that, that isn't true, but predominantly... the the Twitter activists that go and they they announce Tango Downs, they're going after the public facing websites because it's something that's tangible for people that are watching it and they can say, yeah, this is down, brilliant. Great stuff.
1: One to keep an eye on
2: for sure. Yeah,
1: I think that's the point is that uh, this controversy or this issue is really, you know, is really a hot topic and it's it's, um, uh, politically going to gain some traction we think um, over the next sort of um, medium term, at least, next not 90 days, three months or something, we reckon it could be one that uh, becomes more popular. Yeah, absolutely.
0: We are almost at the end of the pod, but not before we quickly discuss Monero and all things mining-related, which has been a big thing happening in the past week, but also in the past month. In December, I think we were looking into stats. We reported on 10 instances of malware, Um that was targeting many systems looking to mine crypto currency. Yeah. Uh, in the past week, specifically, there's been the, the CoinHive uh, Chrome extension um, for one extension that was actually
1: using other people's computers to mine Monero. Yeah. It's a softer target than banking now, mm. isn't it? So, And it's worth a lot of money, as we've seen with the... Um, increase in value of uh, Bitcoin and ethereum and all, all lots of other uh, cryptocurrencies becoming very attractive to cyber criminals to target cryptocurrency, target the mining of it and also target um, the um, access to people's wallets, you know, so you can get credentials to someone's wallets and they've got no two- two-factor authentication, then you're in and you can transfer that money yeah. out or whatever. So so these, um, you know, these, uh, these cryptocurrency um, platforms or the use of them is becoming uh, much more attractive um, target for cyber financially motivated type criminals for sure. But it seems like Monero in particular people are finding that easier to mine and there are more opportunities than we
0: previously saw with, with Bitcoin. Uh, I think I was on Dream Marketplace today looking at um, botnets so you could buy you know, other people's infected computers that you could use to mine your own Monero and it was forty-four dollars to buy, yeah, and nearly two thousand people had bought it. Wow, which is quite a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's popular some activity. Money, right, the money has
1: been made. I know Monero is, is um, becoming more popular um, with cyber criminals because it's um, the blockchain is, is not easily readable. It's not like open. Like you can't just read it. Um, you've got to. Um, there's certain restrictions I wouldn't be able to yeah you, you can't
0: see the actual amount that's being transferred and the sender is masked Very and the
1: recipient is masked right. in, a, in a much more effective way but um, um, in, in terms of uh, mining I understand that it's easier to do I don't have any experience um, of it but it's easier to mine than, than say Bitcoin that is also my understanding but I couldn't go any further than that
0: And um, that is about it. If anybody is interested in cryptocurrency uh, fraud, we will be publishing a paper later on in the month. So do stay tuned for that. We'll also have a midweek podcast for that paper. So do make sure you download that one.
1: Thanks, everybody, for your time. Thank you, Michael Marriott. You have been a fantastic host in our inaugural first podcast. podcast. Long may it uh, continue. Thanks
0: for listening to Shadow Talk. For more information on our research and analysis, please visit resources.digitalshadows.com.